Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, the Supreme Court is back in session this week, and there are more than a couple things you'll want to watch out for in the coming term, including one case with big implications for Pennsylvania elections. CityCast Megan Harris and I are chatting through the need to knows. It's Tuesday, October 4th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Okay, so the court is back. Where did the summer go? I feel like I'm still, you know, reeling from the row decision. Yeah, that one definitely sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Uh, I would say particularly for people who are receiving reproductive care right now, speaking from experience. For anyone who could have missed it, Roe v. Wade was the case that for the last 50 years federally protected abortion access in the U.S., but not anymore. Um, In June, the court reversed that decision and made life a lot squishier for millions of us especially if you're in your child rearing or child tending years. Yeah. Can I ask what it's been like to be pregnant during all of this? Uh, Weird. Real weird. Um, I got to 24 weeks the week that Roe fell, which is the, you know, kind of um, barometer for viability. It's what puts you into a trimester that, you know, most states wouldn't have recognized anyway. So it's sort of a strange milestone to hit in that exact moment in our history. Um, So, you know, now as I'm approaching my due date, uh, I'm just I feel really fortunate to live in Pennsylvania where access to reproductive care has been interrupted, certainly, but less obstructed than a lot of other places. At least right for the time being. Um, So, yeah. (laughs) So that was Roe. What else happened this past term? I think I read that we got more conservative decisions than we had in the last 80 years. (laughs) Yeah. um, These are just a few of those conservative decisions. Um, So after the shooting in Evalde, Texas, there was some broad language that could make it tougher to regulate guns. That was a New York state case. They had a clause asking people for proper cause if they wanted a concealed carry permit. That's not a thing anymore. Um, They said it was an obstruction to the Second Amendment. Hmm. There was a big environmental case uh, where the court curbed the, the Environmental Protection Agency's ability to deal with climate change. So that's awesome. Exactly that's, what we need right now. Like, that's not your job. <laughs> who, who else's job should it be? Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, and then another one, um, public school officials can now pray openly. Um, there was this coach in Washington State who was put on leave for praying on the field. So he argued and the court agreed that that was free speech. That all seems very conservative. Uh, I don't follow the court all that closely. So what are you seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, I did a bunch of reading, of course, um, yeah. but I, I also feel like, you know, there are people who know a lot more about this than you or I. So I took this one to Amy Wildermuth. She's the dean of the University of Pittsburgh Law School. She mm-hmm. clerked um, for the Supreme Court back in her day. And she says, um, you know, if you look back between 40 and 50 percent of cases heard by the court in the not so distant past ended in unanimous decisions, which are the ones that nobody hears about because, as she said, they're not as big and sexy as a lot of the ones that we tend to hear about in the news. Right. Um, 
But, you know, now we have what seems to be the rise of this six to three decision, which then feeds into this narrative we have that this conservative group of justices is sort of going forward with their political ideology as opposed to, you know, following good legal practice or good legal rules um, and right. not being driven by those precedents. Amy had a, an interesting take. Um, this is her. I think the thing that's getting um, a lot of attention, and rightly so, is the fact that the court seems to be on a less incremental path. It is not afraid to make that kind of radical change. So she asks what it would mean for people or even lawmakers to just stop paying attention to the court at all. Like, if the entire premise is based on trust, that we trust the court to have our best interest at heart um, and to follow these rules that we've put into place and legal precedent from there, what happens if the court doesn't carry the same institutional integrity that they always have? Like, if people just stop caring, it's sort of a wild thought. I think I've always had a general healthy distrust of everything government, but uh... (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. Well, so Amy takes it kind of to the nth degree and like takes the most pessimistic view, right? Like just as a thought experiment. And then now our government, as we know it, no longer exists, right? That's the kind of thing that I hope we never get to. But that is the sort of question that I think it raises. Like, will there be executives that stop listening or stop following what the Supreme Court does. That's a very real and difficult issue. Is it possible the court could expand? Like, what are the implications of that if it does? I mean, yeah, as Amy put it, anything is possible. But look at the math. I don't think I even realized this. So the court currently leans six to three conservative right now. So even if Democrats did take back the House and the Senate this fall, they couldn't just add a couple spots. They'd have to add four Mm. to get back to a liberal majority and get them all confirmed in the following two years while Biden is still in office. Like, that would be an exceptional expansion rate for any governing body. And then you got to ask, like, what happens after that? Every new administration just adds a couple more. According to Amy, that kind of gets us back to that same question of institutional integrity. Like, at what point does it become so watered down that nobody's even listening anymore? Them expanding at that rate seems almost as ridiculous as them changing laws uh, as swiftly as they have. Precedents, Morgan, not laws, precedents. Precedents, sorry. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of looking ahead to next term, Um, there's a full docket, but we're just going to talk about a few of them. So number one is called Moore versus Harper. It examines this legal theory that would grant state legislatures significantly more power over federal elections. If the court sides with the doctrine in question, it would give states like Pennsylvania greater power over your favorite Morgan and mine redistricting and Mm. election procedures. So Mm. that would include things like voting by mail. Um, So this is a huge one for Pennsylvania um, that speaks to independent state legislature doctrine and whether state governments really have to listen to our court systems at all. So fun. And a big one, too, I guess, for, uh, you know, liberals and Democrats, because I feel like they were the ones (laughs) that used the mail-in voting pretty heavily during the last election. 
Yeah, um, I think it has huge implications no matter how you kind of swing it, especially in a state like Pennsylvania where we've just had huge turnout for that, especially since the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Um, so number two is 303 Creative LLC versus Alenis. I'm not sure I'm saying that right. Um, but that's another free speech question. So it was this Colorado-based web designer who said she shouldn't have to be forced to create websites for same-sex weddings under the state law. So that could allow business owners to discriminate against marginalized groups, uh, particularly the LGBTQ plus community, based on people's religious beliefs. That reminds me of that uh, that case with the couple that wanted the bakery to make the... Um yeah, the wedding couple. cake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Um, also, Colorado, I had forgotten that. Um, I guess they didn't really make a decision. It was kind of kicked down the road. So this one has the potential to hammer it home a little bit more. Um, number three, there's a pair of cases challenging the consideration of race in college admissions. So this one is expected to determine the future of affirmative action in higher ed. Oddly enough, uh, when affirmative action was first brought to the court, Justice O'Connor specifically wrote that she hoped it wouldn't be necessary in 25 years. <laughs> and guess what? Here we are 25 years later. I'll leave it to you to decide where you think we are on that question. Is it still necessary? Yes. Is it still necessary because are people even going to college anymore? No. I mean, they are, but like, should they be? Look at loans. I don't know. Right. That's a totally That's different episode. I mean. Yeah, it's, it's going to be not necessary for a very different reason. <laughs> uh, um, OK, so number four um, for voting rights, there's Merrill versus Milligan, um, which you may remember from earlier this year. In February, the court ruled that Alabama did not have to redraw its congressional district maps, which a lower court says violates the Voting Rights Act. The Voting Rights Act, of course, uh, was put into place to protect black voting power specifically, but any marginalized group generally. Um, the court agreed to consider it again this fall, but they didn't set a date for that. So those old maps that Alabama has will remain in place for this midterm election. Mm. Um you can imagine how that could have implications for Pennsylvania in future years. That makes me think about Swiss Vale. Uh, oh, like Summer Lee? Yeah, I'm thinking about Summer and uh, when they drew around uh, her house for the redistricting during the elections. Yeah, one to watch for sure. And we'll have more about those elections in the coming weeks on the podcast and the newsletter. So look out for that. Everywhere. Um, <laughs> and then number five, last one, I swear. Um, when I talked to Amy, she threw in this nerdy wild card. Um, it's a case out of Pennsylvania that would question um, personal jurisdiction, which is not a concept I was really super familiar with before. But it yeah, is this is really interesting. Yeah, it's this really interesting idea that asks whether the courts have the power to haul you into court for a civil proceeding. So this isn't a criminal charge like you've been, you know, you're facing a specific thing that you've done wrong or allegedly done wrong. This would be like if someone decides to sue you, can the court tell you you have to come or can you just ignore it? That I don't sounds know. like something I would have made up if I were my own fake attorney. <laughs> um, do you think this year is going to be as contentious uh, as the past one? You know, I saw NPR refer to the court this past summer as the YOLO court, um, <laughs> just because of the pace of wow. some of these decisions. You know, you only live once. Um, yeah. I don't know if this was your experience, but I feel like growing up, the Supreme Court was just like that branch of government that I never really heard people talk about, or like at least they complained about it the least. I'm sure some of that's perception, but it just doesn't really feel true anymore it feels like they've been pretty quiet in the the early part of our lifetime and yeah. uh they're coming in loud and loud and proud right now 
Um, Well, and then backing up just a little, you know, in the Roe decision earlier this summer, Justice Clarence Thomas mentioned three other cases that he suggested the court should reevaluate weren't part of the Roe question at all. Um, And those were Griswold, which governs access to contraception, Lawrence, which initially struck down anti-sodomy laws, and then Obergefell, which legalized gay marriage equality. So if you take those three cases as a whole, like, that's basically a siren song to conservative groups out there to find cases, to bring the Supreme Court a case so that they can then potentially weigh in on them and reconsider those precedents, too. Very interesting, considering that Justice Clarence Thomas himself is married to a white woman. So he himself is in an interracial marriage. Um, Yeah, you'll note that that's not one of the cases listed among those three. Um, So you can draw your conclusions there however you want to. Interesting. Is there any good news to come out of any of this? Please have something for us. You usually do. (laughs) I don't know that I would call this good news exactly, but I thought it was really telling that, you know, Amy Wildermuth, again, um, the dean at Pitt Law School, she said that and she doesn't I should I should clarify, I've been talking to her for years. She doesn't tend to take sides on stuff like she evaluates the court and she's a really like process driven person Mm -hmm. um, and really like, you know, derives some joy from figuring out how the court makes its legal arguments, things like that. But she said that, like, personally, at least, she feels like it's time to get out there and to be part of whatever change you want to see. So, like, not just sharing, like, the information on social media, which is fine, or to whine or wallow on what's going on with you personally, which is also fine. It has its place. She wasn't <laughs> begrudging anybody their feelings. Yeah. Um. But I think she really wanted to encourage folks to have, like, more positive, constructive conversations to genuinely advocate for the causes that matter most to you. And, you know, part of that is like talking about this stuff and having like, I don't know, more hard talks with the people that don't necessarily want to engage in it. Um, And she said that was true of herself, too. You know, it's always just a question of putting yourself out there, at least to the degree you're comfortable and, you know, trying to change the minds. Not that that's going to change the minds of the Supreme Court exactly. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it's an important step, too. Some more news before you go. Officials have identified the man who died at Akershire Stadium this Sunday. In case you missed it, he fell off of an escalator after leaving the Steelers game. He was 27, and our thoughts are with his family. Driving through Wilkinsburg, there are signs up in yards now that say, no annexation. The petition for the borough to become part of the city was voted down by city council earlier this year. Wilkinsburg Council was against this, but the petition has been filed again by the Wilkinsburg Community Development Corporation, again. Residents for the annexation say it's good both for the city and to help with development in Wilkinsburg. The people who are against it, though, are afraid of gentrification. In Friday's News Roundup, we erroneously implied that Weird Al Yankovic is Jewish. And a listener educated us. He is not Jewish. He's enjoyed a lot of great success from songs like Pretty Fly for a Rabbi, but he is, in fact, a practicing Christian. We regret the error. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review, write an amicus brief on our behalf. Elizabeth wrote that joke for me. And of course, subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then.
the thing that we call the shadow docket. Now you should play some scary music because that did just sound <laughs> really. Ner- did it make you nervous? Just when I noted, said yeah, no, docket. we're into it, yeah. <laughs> <gasps> That's got to be something bad. <laughs> 